0: Well, here at WPC, we've been studying the Apostles' Creed for a number of uh, weeks now. Dave, Faith, and Dale have all preached upon it. Um, we've recited it in worshipped. Our choir has sung it. And so today we're finishing up um, the Apostles' Creed. But maybe you've thought about why are, is it that we have this creed? Well, it's a basic statement of Christian faith and it was used originally as preparation for um, people who were going to be baptized, uh, adult baptisms, because that's what they had back then. Um, and so you would go through a class, just as we do today, um, and learn about the different tenets of the Christian faith. And then, um, if you were prepared, uh, you um, learned the whole Apostles' Creed, and then you recited it. Um, and the Apostles' Creed is, It said that on the one hand scripture is god's word to humanity but the creeds are humanity's words to god and so this is a a summary shall we say of um, our beliefs it starts out with god the father it starts out with creation and then it ends with the life everlasting and so it's a good order to sort of think about the different um, parts of our denominations belief and actually all denominations not just ours but every single christian denomination uses the apostles creed we kind of different on some of the other ones the Nicene creed it's between us and the orthodox you get to the reformed ones and it's um, uh, something that's foundational to us as presbyterians but not necessarily to other uh, christians but they're still christians Um, because all of us believe in the Apostles' Creed. Um, It's a statement of God as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, Dave last week talked about how it's also a statement of what the church is, how it's holy, how it's universal, how it is a communion of the saints, and it reaffirms the forgiveness of sins. So today we come to the last part, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Originally, um, it was believed that this, the apostles actually put this thing together, uh, that, you know, Peter said, God the Father, and John said, maker of heaven and earth, and Andrew said, and Jesus Christ, the son, and it goes on and on and on to the, 12, or the 11 disciples. And although that's how it came to be called the Apostles' Creed, that's actually just a legend. As far as we know from all the manuscripts and whatnot, I'm sorry, I'm a church historian, so <laughs> you're going to get a little bit of that. Um, as far as we know from different manuscripts, it kind of developed um, from the original writings of um, the gospel writers and Paul and the others in the New Testament, and then throughout um, the ages as um, different Christian Basically, bishops are thinking about how do they express the Christian faith? What is it about Christian faith that people really need to grasp and know? And so we finally get the final form somewhere around the 6th century. But the two phrases that we're looking at today, resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, come from a guy named Irenaeus. He was a bishop about 140, 150 A.D., um, and that's where we find uh, the life everlasting. And then the resurrection of the body actually comes to us from Tertullian, one of my favorites, um, in 220 A.D. So way back in the 200s, it was basically set. The idea was that the Christian faith was expressed. Now, don't think that you know, somebody is going to alter the Christian faith or that sort of thing. But rather, it's what we call occasional. That is, when there was an occasion of questioning a certain part, then the church would respond. For instance, I mentioned the Reformed uh, faith Um, back in the 16th century with Martin Luther and John Calvin. We had a a question of what is Scripture. Now, before that, the you know first 1400 um, years of our Christian faith, we just assumed, hey, Scripture is the Bible. Isn't it? Well, yes, it is. But maybe we can explain it a little more. So we have some creeds that explain what our belief is in Scripture. So here, the Apostles' Creed is the basics, the basics of every single belief that we have, because it is a summary of what Scripture says. So let's look more into the two Scriptures that we have this morning. Now, Faith read us a very familiar psalm, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, that's not quite what um, the New International says, but that's the way I learned it. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The idea is that you don't want. You don't want for anything. Even though I might want something, I think I've told you before, I would love a BMW. But you know what? I've never owned one. Why? I could never quite get myself to pay the sticker price, you know? And nobody's given me one, but, you know, do I really, really want it in the sense of, do I need it? No, I have a nice car, I drive it, it works, there's not a problem. But here, David is saying that the Lord is his shepherd, he shall not want. Because as he looks at the shepherd He knows that the shepherd supplies every single need that he has. And so he doesn't want for anything. Absolutely nothing. And then later on it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I have to tell you that, you know, all of us are going to die. It's called being human. You know, we don't know when it's going to happen. But eventually... You know, our bodies wear out. And if nothing else, you know, we pass away. And so, David is here saying that he doesn't fear any evil because when he walks through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with him. It doesn't matter how dark that valley might be, God is with him. Sometimes it's hard for us to imagine how this kind of takes place. Because we don't have any context for it, usually, until we actually experience it by losing someone. But God promises to be with us as we walk through that valley. Now, none of us like valleys, you know. I mean, I like mountaintops, don't you? If you know the Peanuts characters, Lucy tells um, her friends that, I don't want any valleys, I only want mountaintops. Isn't that the way we all are? We only want mountaintops. But the fact of the matter is that life is not mountaintops and it's not all valleys, it kind of goes between. That's part of being human. And when it is a valley, that might be a dark and fearful experience. And we might feel grief. And the question is, how do we deal with that grief? Because we're all going to confront it at one point or another. And the difference between us and others is not that we don't have grief, but rather, how is it that we deal with it? How is it that we are able to handle the grief that comes to us? First Thessalonians says that in the resurrection of the dead, Christ will be there when he comes. And Paul points out that while believers do grieve, they also have their hope in Jesus Christ, in the promise of the resurrection And in that, our grief is different. And so we talk about in the Presbyterian Church how we have memorial services. And they're officially called, you'd be glad Presbyterians do this, they're officially called a celebration of the resurrection of life. Because it is a celebration of the fact that this person no longer is sick, they're no longer suffering. They're no longer weak and downtrodden, but rather they are redeemed in Jesus Christ in the resurrection. And so it is a witness to the resurrection. And so we can fear no evil, even when we're in the valley. And then the the psalmist says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, when I think of rod i 'm sorry, I think of you know spo- uh, spare the rod, spoil the child kind of thing, and that 's you know something that we should think about, perhaps, but here the rod and the staff the rod and the staff that um, Paul, or that David is talking about is the shepherd 's tools. The shepherd has a staff, and from that he can kind of or she can kind of corral the sheep back into the fold. And they have a rod to defend the sheep with. And so these are the tools that the shepherd, the great shepherd, has. And that having that, we can be comforted, knowing that God uses his tools to protect us, to encourage us, to corral us. And so we can be comforted by that. And Charles Spurgeon has said that even the psalm, that is the psalm 23, provides comfort to the army when they're disappointed. It is a balm and a consolation to the heart of the sick. It is a help to those captives in the dungeons and the widows in their pinching griefs and the orphans in their loneliness. It even comforts dying soldiers who may die easier having it read to them. And so this is a well-loved song and it ends with a great and glorious declaration. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That doesn't necessarily mean dwell here in the church. Yes, we will be together as a church, but we don't quite know what that house will look like, but we do have assurance that we will dwell in his house forever that we won't be taken from it it's a calm assurance of enjoying god's presence in all that he is and all that we can be and the psalm is echoed in our passage from the new testament in john chapter 11 listen as we start in verse 17 on his arrival Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in their loss of the brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to greet him. But Mary stayed at home. Martha said, Lord Martha said to Jesus, "'If you had been here, my brother would not have died.' But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So here we have Mary and Martha. We've met them before in other gospel stories. And they have a brother, Lazarus. And Lazarus gets sick and dies. And then four days pass. Now, it was the Jewish belief that the soul of someone kind of hung around um, the tomb for, for three days. And then on the fourth day, the, the soul went on to their eternal reward. And so it's kind of interesting that Jesus waits four days. And we kind of wonder, has the body begun to de- decompose? You know, what's going on here? And so he comes to Bethany. And when he gets there, he discovers that there are a lot of Jews who have come to comfort the sisters. So what we know is this is probably a very prominent family in Bethany because people come from, from far away to comfort them. I know that when I've had a mother or a father pass, people have come from far away to comfort me and my brothers and to encourage us in continuing in the faith. And so the Jews come from... Jerusalem to comfort Martha and Mary. And it's a picture of sorrow and distress. You know, you kind of wonder, Martha runs out of the house, but Mary stays home. Perhaps she was so downtrodden by grief and so burdened by it that she couldn't bear it. She could only remain at home, not knowing what to do. Sometimes that's what we have, isn't it? And sometimes we're more a little more like Martha, and we run to Jesus, and like Martha, we express our honest disappointment. Because it seems like, you know, Jesus had healed others, um, and yet he waits four days. And so why is it that he waited? Martha's not sure. And so she asks him, if you had been here, she has faith that Jesus could in fact heal when there are no human solutions she has faith that Jesus as the divine incarnate can offer healing because you see with disease we grapple, we fight, we try to overcome it but in the presence of death we're helpless we can't do anything if only things had been different if only he had come if, if, if Isn't that how we are sometimes? If only I had made that phone call to see my brother or my sister, my parent, before they left. If only I had done X. If only they had done Y. If only the medicine. If only the doctors. If only, if only, if only. We have lots of questions. If only. And that's what Martha here is saying. If only. And then she says... But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. I think she's hoping that perhaps Jesus will raise Lazarus, but she doesn't really know what to do. She doesn't really recognize it. But she trusts Jesus despite her disappointment. She recognizes that God is in control of all circumstances, not just what's happening right now, but what happened to Lazarus before. Even when it doesn't make sense to her, she still trusts in Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Even in our own grief, we're called to trust in Jesus. Now, she says that God will give Jesus whatever it is he asks, and that is quite true. But is that God's will? You know, sometimes we kind of wonder, well, okay, I... I really want God to heal this person, but maybe that's not God's will. You know, maybe God wanted something else. And so we have to rest in God to know that the resurrection is coming when we will all see each other again. Because even now, Martha is wondering, would God be willing to do something maybe you're wondering is god willing to do something for you maybe you're trying to believe for yourself pray ask for god's wisdom because he will always always grant it and we know that he will write that we will all rise again in the resurrection on the last day that's what martha tells jesus when he says your brother will rise again and she said, yes, in the resurrection, everybody's going to rise. And, in fact, a few people had risen before the resurrection. There were only two places back in the Old Testament, in First Kings and then in Second Kings, where somebody was. But otherwise, all of those books of the Old Testament, only two people did. And in the New Testament, there's only about three people. And so Martha is not really comforted, and maybe we're not really comforted by something that's distant, and some kind of general resurrection. Because we know when the resurrection happens that wrongs that were in this life will be righted in eternity. That things that seem to be dim right now will in fact become clear in that misty future. And sometimes we have just a general faith even when we're presented with a specific kind of trial as Martha is here. Martha doesn't seem to understand what the resurrection is really about but Jesus does and Jesus says to him to her I am the resurrection and the life he is trying to say believe in me because I am the resurrection and the life Jesus in the gospel of John will say I am five different times and this is one of them I am the resurrection and the life because It's a bold claim that he is the son of God, that he is the divine nature made flesh and dwelling amongst us. And he's saying, apart from Jesus, there's neither resurrection nor life in terms of being admitted into heaven. He says, believe in me. He boldly challenges Martha to trust him for eternal life because that eternal life is a transition from our old life to our new life. You see, death cannot kill the believer. It can only usher him from this life into a freer form of life. Death to the wicked is a king of terrors, but death to those of us who believe in Jesus is an end of terrors and a commencement of glory. We might die physically, But we don't die spiritually. So he challenges Martha. Do you believe this? And he challenges us. Do we believe in the resurrection of the body? Do we believe in the life everlasting? It's the last two parts of our Apostles Creed. So we say we believe it. But do you in your heart? It's something to think about. Martha doesn't need to think. Instead, she says right away, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. She makes a statement. That's as great as Peter's statement as they're up on the mountain. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the firm foundation upon which her belief and upon which our belief is founded. Because Jesus came to save sinners from eternal death. Not necessarily raised to life here and now the way Lazarus was. Lazarus, if you continue reading in this, he did rise from the dead here. But as far as we know, he lived a normal life and then he died again. Just as all of us will. But when we are raised to eternal life, there is no death. There is no sorrow. Salvation is offered to each one of us. And it's no less a miracle than being raised from the dead. It provides us with the ability to overcome loss and grief of those who die. But it also provides us ability to overcome other challenges that we might have in our lives. It helps us to overcome those difficult situations Trusting in God's sovereignty, trusting that he knows best. It's a basic truth of Christianity that we affirm in the Apostles' Creed. God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, his church as universal and across all time, and belief in the resurrection of the dead and the life everlasting. So will you join me and affirm with people throughout all ages by reciting the Apostles' Creed with me?